Hey, what's up, guys, and welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw, and we got a super fun episode for you today. I'm joined by Matt George, the host of the Locked On Kings podcast, and we are throwing down the ultimate debate, Jalen Brunson versus De'Aaron Fox. Who's better? You already know, but I'm going to confirm why next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starks without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up left. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's out. Anthony for three. You are Locked On Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. And I wanted to thank you for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, because if you're doing it every day, by dictionary definition, you would become an everydayer, and therefore... One of my best friends. Um, if you want to join those elite ranks, all you have to do is subscribe on YouTube and hit that notifications bell so you never miss an episode. And be sure to do the same on the audio side. And if that's not enough for you, if you're, if you're a little bit of a Knicks freak and you want to continue the conversation offline, uh, not quite IRL, but a little closer to IRL, um, you can do so now with subtext. Um, if you just check out the episode description, um, a link to subscribe, and a phone number where you can text us is there. And uh, yeah, it's exactly what it sounds like. You can text us any questions you have about the Knicks. We will send you guys proactively um, our latest thoughts, um, a little bit of bonus content, uh, our initial reactions to games, trades, free agency signings, and much more. So be sure to go subscribe on Subtext. But who's shilling for subs? I'm Gavin Shaw, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And as mentioned earlier, I'm joined by Matt George, uh, one of my favorite. I, I, I love all of them, but but even, even amongst those elite ranks, one of my favorite fellow Locked On hosts. And we have a really fun debate. Um, this is part one of a two-part episode talking Jalen Brunson versus De'Aaron Fox. Um, I make the case why Jalen Brunson is the better of the two point guards. Uh, we'll get into it right now on Locked On Knicks. All right, guys, as promised, I am happy as always to be joined by Matt George, the fantastic host of the Locked On Kings podcast. And I've, I've noted it, but I'm excited to get into it, Matt. Uh, you're a great guy. I always love talking to you. But today we're sworn enemies. We're having a debate. Jalen Brunson versus De'Aaron Fox. Uh, you, you, you get to strike the first blow. What are, what are your initial thoughts? Well, first off, hello over there from on the other end of the uh, the country here. From I'm I'm in Phoenix right now, so this is a close, oh okay, this is so a you're close battle. This is a so close you're, battle. You're in enemy territory then. Yeah, so, yeah. So tough, you're in <laughs> kind of our neck of the woods, but really Phoenix Suns territory. But no, I was I'm I'm surprised by this, and like I I don't expect it to come off or or don't intend for it to come off like as as arrogance. But it's it's not a conversation that I ever considered like why would Fox and and Brunson be compared other than those these are two really really good players for for up and coming teams but I, like it never crossed my mind like, like if I ever had to, to be forced into a, a decision of one over the other with Fox and, and and Brunson I I would like to believe that the majority of people wouldn't hesitate to take De'Aaron Fox and a lot of that just has to do with the fact that 
he has been the better player over the course of his career than Brunson has been in a, a shorter period of time. I'm a big fan of Jalen Brunson, by the way. And I'm even a big fan of Julius Randle. We'll get into Randle and Sabonis later. And Randle is actually someone that I talked about for a long time. The Kings potentially targeting if things weren't working out there in New York. Um, but like Fox is a younger player. He's been doing it longer. He's been the guy longer than Brunson has. Brunson has had more opportunity on winning teams. And I think a lot of that has to do with the environments that he was in and less so the like having the the time that he had in, in Dallas not being the top guy. De'Aaron's been the top guy his entire career. Unfortunately, he's been doing it for a franchise that had the longest playoff drought in NBA history that they just recently broke. One of the reasons why they broke it is they finally surrounded De'Aaron Fox with good enough talent uh, to to emphasize his strengths and, and cover his weaknesses a little bit. So to me, like De'Aaron Fox is an easy choice in a comparison or in, in, in a conversation between if you're if you're picking between the two of them. But I also would like to throw out the blanket statement too, even though this is bad for a debate, that I think both teams are in a fantastic spot with both of them as their their point guards going forward. And both are clearly in their prime right now. Yeah, we, we were joking about this before. Um, Alex wasn't able to make this one, but it might have been a little bit more aggressive this year because I also, I love De'Aaron Fox, uh, one of my favorite college players of the last decade. Flat out, probably one of my favorite five to 10 non-Knicks to watch in the NBA. Incredible talent, to your point, like unquestionably like better pedigree than Jalen Brunson. Right? Higher draft pick, was a better recruit, um, was far better their first five, six seasons in the NBA. So this argument for me to make it kind of has to reside on small sample size. And I would even go so far to say, again, arguing against myself a little bit here, Fox was probably pretty clearly the better player in the regular season. Put up 25 points, six rebound or six assists, excuse me, four rebounds per game. Brunson, similar numbers, 24-6, 3.5. And Fox, this, this surprised me when I was going through the numbers, slightly more efficient, 1% better effective field goal percentage, of course. That is with the fact that Jalen Brunson was a 42% three-point shooter, and Fox was quite a bit worse than that. In the playoffs, Brunson was the clearly was clearly the better player, or maybe clearly the better player is overstating it, but scored more, scored more efficiently. Of course, Fox was doing so with a broken hand. So, so when I was like, all right, what do, I, what do I build this argument around? To me, it comes down to two core tenets. I think what Jalen Brunson did against the Miami Heat is simply a resume point that De'Aaron Fox doesn't have yet. Do I think Fox is capable of something like that? Absolutely, but he hasn't done in his career against the second best defense in the postseason. Uh, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Jalen Brunson with, with the Knicks season on the line, with Emmanuel quickly out, with Julius Randle brutally hobbled by a severe ankle injury. He put up 37 points, seven assists, six rebounds per game, shot 55% from the field, 41% from three, 88% from the line, got to the line 10 times per game. And then that iconic game six where he put up 41 in a game where he essentially had zero help. And, and, and you, you talk about the start of a superstar narrative, a superstar resume. That's where it begins with me. Those types of performances in the playoffs. And Fox, due to no fault of his own, hasn't had a lot of opportunities for that in his career. The other thing, which I'm curious, Matt, your take on this, is I think Fox, is, and, and look, we could talk about the defensive end where Fox is clearly the better player. Offensively, his context is just so much better than Jalen Brunson. He gets to play with two elite shooters in Keegan Murray and Kevin Herter, another really good one in Harrison Barnes, a guy in DeMontis Sabonis who would be considered the generational passing big man in the NBA if a guy named Nikola Jokic didn't exist. And then, of course, you have Malik Monk, 
often closing games off the bench. You compare that to Brunson, who despite being on the third best offense in basketball, did not have ideal personnel around him. Had a good shooter in Quentin Grimes, had RJ Barrett, who's just about the worst like wing you would want for a star point guard in the league. Julius Randle, who takes a lot of threes and, and shoots decently on them. And then Mitchell Robinson, who's about as attached to the rim as any player in the NBA. So to me, that's the biggest separator. If you just want to look at the last season, is that they were very similar offensively, but Fox's life was just so much easier on that end of the floor. All right, guys, it's that time again. Football season is about to kick off, and FanDuel is giving you the chance to win all season long. Because right now, when you bet on a Super Bowl winner, you can get bonus bets every time they win in the regular season. Just pick any team to win the Super Bowl, and you'll get bonus bets for every single victory. You can use your bonus bets on spreads, player props, over-unders, and so much more. All you have to do is visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and start earning bonus bets with America's number one sports book. That's vandal.com slash locked on. Personally, personally, I am going with a heavy dark horse. My New York Giants, I'm a believer. Daniel Jones was a borderline top 10 quarterback last season with no one to throw to now. Gets a healthy Sterling Shepard. You get Darren Waller, who is an opportunity to be a top three to five tight end in the league. I think the defense has a chance to be nasty once again. Saquon, ultra, ultra motivated to earn some bank. Um, I I don't necessarily think it's likely, but I like the numbers. And if you're like me, it's really fun to bet on a long shot and just see how far they can go. So you can get into that one final time at FanDuel.com slash locked on. I hear what you're saying. I, when it comes to playoffs specifically, like there's no question that when it comes to playoff experience, Brunson has has the lot, and it's I mean it's not close. Like Jalen Brunson has played in 36 playoff games in his career. De'Aaron Fox has played in seven. However, over those seven, even with breaking his hand or breaking his finger midway through that series, which completely changed the series for him and completely changed the series for the Sacramento Kings, De'Aaron Fox still had the second highest scoring playoff series debut in NBA history. So he came onto the scene, finally got that opportunity, and very similar to how John Morant kind of took the like De'Aaron Fox's story would have been and, and and hype would have been the exact same as John Morant's had he stayed healthy and had the Sacramento Kings won that playoff series because John Morant made his playoff debut in the play-in. Technically, can't remember who the the Grizzlies beat, but they actually won the play-in to move into the playoffs itself. I think, I think it was the Warriors. Yeah. So the I mean, like. We would, I think people are, are already starting to talk about De'Aaron Fox differently in a way that they should, in a way that people should have been talking about De'Aaron Fox for years. It just so happened that he's spent his entire career again in Sacramento, where a lot of what he's done has has flown under the radar. I agree with you in terms of De'Aaron is, is benefiting massively from players around him. But I would argue that where De'Aaron was at his best this season – was when it was all eyes on him and spotlight on him. When you're talking about the fourth quarter, you're talking about clutch points. Like there was no more clutch player in the league. He won the inaugural clutch player of the uh, league award. And it wasn't just scoring in the fourth quarter. I mean, you look at De'Aaron's clutch shooting over the course of, of the uh, game, even like late in a shot clock, NBA University put out recently, like end of shot clock threes. So threes with four seconds remaining in the shot clock. Typically, that's like a sign of bad offense or a sign of like at the end of a broken possession. But when the Kings needed a shot at the end of a possession that maybe a defense was playing well against them, Fox was shooting 40% from three-point range in those spots. So when it came to big moments and the Kings needing and got to have it, especially in winning time, that's where De'Aaron Fox really stepped up. The question for De'Aaron Fox going forward is like, 
can Fox be that guy for more of a, I say a 48 minute effort. There's no way Fox is playing 48 minutes a night, but can Fox be the same guy the first three quarters as he is in the fourth quarter? I don't know how capable anybody is of doing that because I'm have no idea how exhausting it is to play that hard for a full game, 82 games a year plus playoffs on top of that. So I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it's a lot to ask in, in, in many ways. So I think Jalen Brunson at times did a significantly better job of making an impact over the course of the entire game. And Fox had good games like that too. But when, when it was, when Fox shined the brightest, even though he had so many great players around him was when it was him, mano a mano, typically against, uh, against one of the best, if not the best defender on the opposing team. And De'Aaron was impossible to guard because he could get to the rim and finish at a rate that Shaquille O'Neal hasn't finished at the rim before. Now, I don't know how repeatable that is. I was having that conversation with Josh Lloyd from Locked On Fantasy Basketball recently. Like he finished around like 77 or something percent at the rim, which is just absurd. I don't know if he's going to be able to do that again. But on top of that, his mid-range pull-up jumper was his most go-to efficient shot that he had this uh, this season. And that shot is impossible to guard because you have to sag off De'Aaron Fox enough to where he doesn't blow by you but you have to respect him enough as a shooter to where he can pull up and hit that midi on you. So De'Aaron is, while he's not a three-level scorer yet, Jalen is certainly a better three-point shooter. And if Fox added that to his game, we'd talk about one of the greatest point guards of all time, which I don't know if he'll ever get there. Um, but it, it, he's he's can score and get wherever he wants on the floor. And he doesn't have to be the top guy all the time for the Kings to be successful. That's a big difference this past season compared to his entire career in the league. Yeah, I think I think going through the numbers, that's what shocked me the most because I, I think of, I, I thought Jalen, like just not having looked would have blown him away in terms of efficiency because of the three-point shooting, because Jalen is excellent in the mid-range, is very good at the rim, and Fox is just in a different stratosphere at the basket. And then the biggest shock to me was that Fox was a more efficient mid-range scorer on very similar volume. And, and that's an area that like you think of Jalen Brunson, you think of isolation, mid-range maestro. Again, to me, the, I'll, I'll kind of fall back on the same argument. Like I, I think part of the reason Fox was able to be so good in the clutch was like he played with maybe the best facing in NBA history outside of those Warriors teams and maybe the James Harden Rockets team. But I, I wouldn't even say they were quite as good. And I wonder if you switch teams, what Jalen Brunson would be able to do with that kind of opportunity. Because my last memory of him was, again, going through Gabe Vincent and then attacking Jimmy Butler, trying to swipe down and then trying to finish over Bam Adebayo at the rim and doing that over and over and over again. And again, it's not to say that Fox couldn't do that, but I would love to see Brunson and and hopefully the Knicks can build out this infrastructure over time, like in a world where he is that kind of space. I I guess two final quick questions for you on Fox. Um, Let's let's step aside. We'll come back. We'll finish up on Fox versus Brunson. And then we can get into a Sabonis against Julius Randle. The, as, as I always say, the greatest non-discussed rivalry, uh, at least in the modern history of the NBA, because those two guys probably dislike each other more than any two players I can think of. So that next on Locked on Knicks and Locked on Kings. All right, guys, we are back. Locked on Knicks, Locked on Kings crossover. Myself, Matt George. Um, De'Aaron Fox going forward. Because these, were, these were sort of the two things. Like I, I did earlier this summer just a, a ranking of all the players in the NBA. And I ended up having Jalen Brunson quite a bit higher than I expected to top 15, which is probably a little bit lofty. But what I kept falling back on is like teams just don't really have an answer for what he can do in the playoffs with his ability to score at every level. Granted the three point shooting, at least this postseason was not quite that good. De'Aaron Fox actually shot a percentage point better than Jalen Brunson. Granted on much less attempts um, from three, but 
Do you think going forward that lack of three-point shot in later rounds of the playoffs could hurt Fox or is the shooting around him enough to compensate combined with everything else he does so well? And then what's your confidence in him on the defensive end and, and potentially teams trying to go at him there where I know coming out of Kentucky, that was supposed to be a strength for him. And then it wasn't quite, and he's slowly but surely gotten better as far as I know on that end of the floor. Two great questions, Gavin. Like the, the first one with Fox is it's weird. Like it's very situational because over the course of a game, if I'm if I'm asked to choose who do I want taking a three-pointer between De'Aaron Fox and Jalen Brunson, the answer is Jalen Brunson and the numbers back that up. But Fox has shown an ability to again be a clutch scorer and be a clutch shooter. And he hit a couple game-winning threes this season. He had a one from freaking half court in, in Orlando. I don't know. That's more of an outlier shot than anything. But he also had a pull-up three in Chicago uh, to break the heart of the Bulls. Uh, over the course of the regular season two to where it was just an in-rhythm shot that you wouldn't necessarily expect De'Aaron Fox to take when he can get, get get downhill as well as he can. He pulls up with full confidence from that three-point range, knocks down that shot. If that were a consistent part of his game, again, we're talking about like, what do you do to stop this guy? And even without it, the question still is, what do you do to stop this guy? Because Fox is fast enough and quick enough to where even if you're sagging off him or stepping off of him and allowing him enough space to shoot from the perimeter, Fox can still put the ball on the floor and get to the spots that he wants to. And he's surrounded by, to your point earlier, he's surrounded by enough, uh, in, enough weapons around him to where if your focus is solely on just staying in front of him, you are going to miss the passing lane to a corner Keegan Murray three or to a DeMontis Sabonis on the high block. And, and what's what's crazy to me is, is how De'Aaron is the top guy in Sacramento. And I don't know if this helps or hurts his argument, Gavin, but but De'Aaron is not the most important player in Sacramento. That's DeMontis Sabonis. And we're going to get into that a little bit later on. Now, most important and best are two very different things, and, and one does not necessarily trump the other. The way the Sacramento Kings play is through Sabonis, and Fox is just that okay, the, we need a bucket, we need our guy, we need our star to carry us through. That's when Fox really steps up and Fox really shines. So he's like a specialist uh, in that way. Defensively, De'Aaron made incredible strides this, this past season, especially when it came to fourth quarter defense. Now the Kings as a whole were a bad defensive team, but we're actually one of the top defensive teams in the fourth quarter. And then in the playoffs, actually, we're a really, really solid defensive team. A lot of that, I think, has to do with the physicality and, and refs let a little more go. And, and playoff basketball is just kind of a different beast on the, on the defensive end of the floor. But De'Aaron took on the challenge nightly that he would point out that others didn't. He would guard the opposing team's best guard, typically, in crutch time. And, and for the majority of a game, every single night. And then he would have the ball, and that best guard would switch off of him. So, for example, when if the Kings and Knicks played, and I'd have to go back and look at this, but when the Kings and Knicks played, it was De'Aaron Fox that was guarding and stepping up to Jalen Brunson. I don't know if you could say the same about Brunson trying to guard De'Aaron Fox on the other end of the floor. I imagine maybe Josh Hart was called for that responsibility, or who knows? Um, and, and who knows who can actually guard De'Aaron Fox to some extent. And even with Fox guarding Jalen Brunson, I'm sure Jalen got the better of Fox from time to time too, with how good of an offensive player he is. So in, in terms of defense, like I don't think it's much of a contest between the two of them. I think yeah. Fox is the more reliable, quicker defender. He still has room to grow. Mike Brown is asking for more out of him uh, in that sense. Uh, and then three point shooting 
long-winded going back to your initial question. I think in the playoffs, there will be moments, there will be times where when the Kings need a three, Fox is not going to be afraid to pull up and hit it, but he's not necessarily going to hit it as at the rate that you would trust or want to trust your top guy in that moment. And that that's glaring when you're playing a team like the Golden State Warriors, who Steph Curry can pull up from wherever he wants on the floor any given time, and there's nothing really you can do about it. So three-point shooting in the modern NBA is so essential, especially for a point guard, that that's always going to be something that's looked at for De'Aaron. But De'Aaron is good enough overall, I think, to overcome that. Yeah, I, I think if I were to play devil's advocate with myself and make an argument for Fox, is that Brunson, you, you can target him in the postseason in a way you simply can't um, with De'Aaron Fox. And I guess the counter to that would be that, at least in the context of this Knicks team, where, where you could say this is this is kind of the positive for Brunson, like the trade-off for not having that shooting around him was that he was, he was insulated by largely playing with really nice defensive players, and, and that made such a substantial difference to the ability to keep him on the floor. And then it let Brunson like, like the offensive numbers in the postseason were just staggering. The, the Knicks were 36 points better per hundred possessions um, with him on offense in the playoffs. That is a number that led the NBA by far. I think no one was within seven or eight points of that. Um, he led the NBA, the entire NBA and on off differential in the playoffs with guys who played at least 250 minutes. Um, like his advanced metrics were, were generally on the top five of anyone in the postseason, and And that's, that's kind of what I have to, sit on and fall back on with my argument. And then I guess the other part of it is to your point, Fox is, is a younger player would nominally be on a better trajectory. And I guess my only counter to that is I, I think Brunson's game potentially lends itself to aging a little bit better with how skill-based it is. But there's also a lot of like maybe, maybe less subtle than Fox, but athleticism in the Brunson's game. Like he, he's, he's exceptionally quick and his, his D cell is amazing. His body control is, is about as good as any guard in the NBA and, and that stuff falls off. I just wonder if it'll fall off at a slightly slower pace than Fox's just kind of blinding speed will. No, it's a good point. But my counter to that would be like De'Aaron when De'Aaron first came into the league, like speed was his MO and he used it at all times. It was full speed, 100%. We get the ball, we run downhill, throw caution to the wind. And while he did a good job not being out of control too much, you've we can see over the course of De'Aaron's career how he's learned to use that speed in bursts and less of let me just out sprint you for the, the entire time that I'm on the floor. And I think De'Aaron Fox knows too as he gets older, he's not going to be able to do that as much. And even with him in his prime right now, if you're sprinting and playing at 100%, Every single game, by the time you get to the playoffs, by the time you make a deep playoff run, you're going to be gassed no matter what you do. And that was fatigue was actually an issue that the Sacramento Kings dealt with, despite being unbelievably healthy last year. Like you could point to a lot of players and their their drop off at times offensively and how they struggled. You could you could point to fatigue and and as a, a major factor in that. So De'Aaron has this burst to his game now to where he can turn on that speed at times when he wants to dribble the ball up the floor, get to a spot and then explode and, and, and get by you and get to the rim. And, and it takes only three seconds off the shot clock of full speed energy instead of 20 seconds of the shot clock of just running around the floor nonstop. Uh, so I think despite De'Aaron, his, his top, physical asset being that speed and quickness, he uses it in a way that suggests that it'll be, it, it has longevity. Two great point guards, two teams in great situations because of those point guards. 
and and two guards that play with power forwards who don't like each other very much. That next on Locked On Knicks and Locked On Kings. All right, guys, that is it for this one with Matt. But if you enjoyed this episode and want to hear the rest of our conversation, you can tune in tomorrow morning. It's going to be a whole lot of fun. We're talking Julius Randle versus DeMontis Sabonis, uh, one of the heated rivalries in the Eastern Conference. The debate is actually a little bit less heated this time because I'm I'm a little bit more open to Randle slander than I am Jalen Brunson slander. Uh, before just talking about how the Knicks and Kings are positioned going forward, which team has a chance to be better in the future, and why both fan bases uh, should appreciate one another and, and, and be ultra optimistic um, about the future of both teams. Because if we if we'd done this podcast. A year ago, it, it wouldn't have been uh, nearly as fun and, and nearly as exciting. Two teams that were, uh, for over a decade, uh, kind of the laughing stocks of their respective conferences, now arguably have two of the best futures in their respective conferences. So it's all fun. It's all good here on Locked On Next.